You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. As we begin this morning, I have a question for you. How many of you um, have had a vehicle, maybe in your driveway or on the street, that has had a, uh, that someone has shattered one of its windows? Raise your hand. Shattered windows, raise your hand up high. Okay, look at that. Okay, it's, yeah. That doesn't feel so good, does it? Um, I've had this happen more than once. But on one occasion, I remember parking my uh, truck in front of my house, our house in Bolivia, and walking in, and just a few seconds later, hearing this glass shatter, and a bunch of kids knocking at our gate. So I come out, and the kids were adamant. They wanted to explain, no, we didn't do it. Just want you to know it wasn't us. They were playing on the street, and they said it was those two girls over there. And so these girls were walking up the street. They were high on drugs. So I went and I tried to talk to them, and that, that wasn't going to get me anywhere. So I let it go, and later that afternoon, I was invited to go to a youth event and, and speak. So I show up at this place, and I was there early. There were some kids already there, and this girl was right there, like in the middle of this room. So I walk in, and I sit down, like on one side of an aisle, she was on the other, and I sit across from her and start talking a little bit. And she didn't recognize me. Um, so I mentioned forgiveness. And she said, I've done things that no one could ever forgive. What's this about forgiveness? <laughs> you know? And I thought, well, maybe if I show her. So I said, would you mind? I'd like to show you something. It's right out front. My truck happened to be parked right outside the door across the sidewalk. Um, and so I walked out and I said, um, take a look at that empty window. <laughs> um, and she said, yeah, okay. I said, do you recognize the truck and the missing glass? She said, should I? I said, yeah. You threw a rock through that this morning. Do you remember that? I said, no. You know, and I could see she was about, she about to get ready to run. And I said, it's okay. I just want you to know I forgive you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to let it go. And This is nothing compared to what Jesus can do in your life. He can forgive everything. And she said, you don't understand. I've done things in my life that no one could ever forgive. In fact, the only reason why I'm even here, I've never been to this church. The only reason I'm here is because I'm supposed to hurt somebody. (laughs) And I said... Jesus can take away your guilt. And she just cried and ran away. She turned and she left. It was a really sad moment, a very sobering moment to think she was about to hurt somebody. What did that mean? (laughs) Um, But she left. This story we're going to look at today is about hurt people being healed. Is it possible? Can God transform bad people? Is that possible? Hmm. As we go through this series in Genesis, we're in the story of Joseph. And Joseph's life is a lot like traveling through Oregon. It has peaks and valleys. 
We just sang about that. And uh, there were times when at the beginning of his life, he is the favored son. He's dad's special boy, and uh, his brothers don't like it so much, so they end up selling him. He becomes, becomes the forgotten brother, the slave, so he goes from a peak down to a valley, and now he's a slave. As a slave, he begins to climb. He becomes the administrator of his master's house until he's accused of a crime. And now he is in prison, again at the bottom. In prison, he begins to climb. He begins to oversee the prison. And suddenly, he's called to Pharaoh's house because Pharaoh has this dream. He dreams of these fat cows, seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, these uh, seven stalks of wheat and, uh, that are really beautiful and seven ugly stalks of wheat, and both of the ugly sets eat up the good ones. And Pharaoh wakes up and he's concerned. There are two dreams. They're very similar. There must be a message. So he calls all his wise men to explain, to interpret the dream, tell them what, what they're about, and they can't. And his cupbearer hears about it. And his cupbearer says, I know a man. Two years ago, there was a guy in prison. I had a dream, and I told him. And another guy had a dream, and he told him what would happen. He told me I'd have my job back. And here I'm serving you wine, serving you your cup. And uh, so uh, Pharaoh is called, uh, Joseph is called before Pharaoh, and he is told the dream, and Joseph tells him, yes, the seven cows, seven sets of cows, and the wheat re- represent seven years of abundance that are coming, and then seven years uh, follow, will follow of famine, and they will be so bad that you will forget that there was ever any abundance. So Pharaoh, God's wisdom, God's advice is that you appoint someone to store from the abundance that you store up from the abundance so that you're prepared for the times of famine. And it seemed right to Pharaoh, so he and his, his advisors chose Joseph. And Joseph was made the governor of all of Egypt. So now he goes from being a prisoner, from one peak in prison to a mountaintop. He's the governor of all of Egypt. And he is set to save all of Egypt. And this famine begins... And it affects the Egyptians, and all the Egyptians run out of food, and they come to Joseph, and he sells them food. They end up, Pharaoh owns Egypt now. And the world outside goes through the famine, and his brothers come to Egypt. And they find Joseph. They don't realize he's Joseph, and they ask him for food. These were the guys that sold him into slavery. And they show up. Now they need food from Joseph. Wow, things have turned around. And so he ends up giving them food, but he tells them uh, short, shortly, he says, you know what, here, take food, but I'm going to keep one of you. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm going to keep not the oldest. He finds out he was actually trying to be kind to him back when they sold him. He takes the next one in line, Simeon, and he holds him for, well, I think it may have been between one and two years. And he holds him while the other brothers go back. Joseph knows this famine is just starting. You will be back. And he says, when you come back, you bring your youngest brother. You bring your youngest brother. I want to meet him. And the youngest brother was his full-blooded brother. He's, uh, the others were his half-brothers. Half and he's probably wondering, how are they treating, if they tr- t- treated me this way, how are they treating Benjamin? So at the end of the chapter last week, 
it said this, Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. So there's this pressure of need. Have you ever been pressured by need? I remember when I was a kid living in Paraguay. And uh, there was a night, I remember we came home, and we didn't have any food. I don't know how my dad felt. I'm sure he felt horrible. But I remember uh, there may have been like a piece of bread or something like that, and he prayed over it. He said, God, thank you for what we have. And after he got done praying, a neighbor showed up. She was having some guests over. The guests didn't show up, and she had all this food. And just as he said amen, she clapped at the gate. She's like, hey, can you guys use this? <laughs> it was pretty cool. But um, this, when, when, when there's need for food, that's hard. And so there's, pre- there's pressure, there's this need for food, and the famine is severe. They had eaten all the grain. It's not like they still had some for a few days. They're probably, I don't know what they're going to live off of while, while they take this trip, but uh, they're out of food, and, jo- and Jacob's like, go back. And then Judah speaks. Judah. Why Judah? He's not the oldest brother. You'd think the oldest one would probably step in. That was kind of the culture. But um, no, we don't hear that because on their previous trip, when they had gone and they'd come back, there was already a conversation that had happened. And this, kind, this is kind of how it played out. Um, when we spoke to Joseph, is what they told Jacob, when we spoke to this governor, they didn't know it was Joseph, the governor spoke harshly to us. He was rude, threw us in prison for three days, and then he told us, you know, leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. And so here, Reuben, back then, when they had already gone and come back, Reuben spoke to his father, and he said, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you, and trust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. Is he the only one left? What about the guy he's talking to? But Benjamin seems to be the new favored one. And Joseph is gone. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you're taking... You will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. So Judah is the one to speak up. Judah. What kind of a man is Judah to ask for the son? Well, let's, let's review a little bit. Judah is the man who came up with the idea of selling Joseph in the first place. When you go back and look at that story, he was the one who was like, you know, we could kill him, but we're not going to get anything out of it. How about we make some money off this deal? And it wasn't like he was caring about his brother. It was more like... Let's make some money. And so it was his idea. After selling his brother later on, he marries a Canaanite woman that would have been a huge affront to the family. She's not a Yahweh worshiper. And they have these two wicked sons. And these two sons die. 
because they're so wicked, God takes their lives. So now this daughter-in-law is left without a husband, and instead of uh, Judah taking care of her and protecting her, finding a way to care for her, he says, you know what? Why don't you go back to your parents? Sends her away. Then later on, when his own wife dies, he goes after a prostitute. And what's ironic is, when his daughter-in-law is found to be pregnant and accused of prostitution, he orders that she be burned to death. This is Judah. And he's the one saying, Dad, let me take Benjamin. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us, do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. So this is into the second year of the famine. And there's pressure the pressure, there's need, and so there's pressure. And he said, you know, we've got to live. This is about life and death. I myself, and he goes on, I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. I will bear the blame before you all my life. This is Judah. Safety, you can trust him with the safety of Benjamin. He says, I will guarantee it, but then he says, I will bear the blame. I wonder what Judah was feeling when he said this, because it's been years since he was responsible for the sale of his brother. So he's been bearing this guilt, this blame. And so when he says, I'll bear it, it's probably not anything new. He's bearing it already. So here's Another situation. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Wow. They're they're staying there and they're starving. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. Jacob and gifts. This is not a new thing. He did this with Esau when he was afraid his brother would Maybe take his life. He sent gifts to him over and over and over again. Came and bowed down. Now he's thinking, you guys have to meet this governor. Take some gifts. What do they have? They don't have very much. A little balm, a little honey. He didn't say take a ton of, a little. (laughs) Some, Some spices and myrrh. Some pistachio nuts and almonds. Yeah, that'll work. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. How much control does Jacob have over this situation? He doesn't. He doesn't have any control. Take Benjamin. 
And then he says, And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin, could you imagine that moment? Joseph sees his full-blooded brother. He's always been wondering how they've been treating him. How is, how is he? So he, 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 he sees his brother and he's longing for relationship. He's longing to find out how things have been with his family. So he tells his steward, you know, go to the house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. So Joseph prepares a meal. He invites them into relationship. Let's talk. Only there's an issue. They don't know who he is. And he doesn't know their character. So how do you have a relationship with people who betray you? But he sits down. He, he invites them to a table. And the man did as Joseph told them. Now when they go to the house, the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as, as slaves and take our donkeys. Yeah, donkeys is what Joseph wants. He needs donkeys. But they're afraid. They, they don't know what's going on. So they went up to Joseph Stewart and they're trying to, you know, let's, let's, let's undo the situation if we already have one and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver. Like, somehow the payment didn't come through. We ended up with the money back. Uh, um, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack, each person. So, so we have brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. And the steward disarms them. He takes away the fear. It's all right, he said. And it's interesting because in this whole scenario, there are all these little hints to who Joseph is. It's interesting. And here's one of them. Your God the God of your father, how do you know the God of my father? And yet, that's what the steward says, the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then, then he brought Simeon out to them. Hmm, Simeon. They haven't seen him for a long time. They could have had two trips back and forth. They haven't seen him in a long time. And here's their brother. So, the fear is gone, but... Um, they're, and they're taken care of. Joseph is very intentional. He's very caring. And we're going to see he, he's deeply interested in how they're doing. He gives them water to wash their feet, and provides fodder for their donkeys. They, in turn, turn around and prepare their gifts because Joseph's coming home after work. And when he comes home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house. And they bowed down before him to the ground. Could you imagine what's going through Joseph's thoughts? Oh yeah, that dream. It's happening again. Yeah. He asked them how they were. And then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. 
And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him as he looked about again and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. He asked, is this your younger brother? I'm pretty sure he knew. Maybe he looks different. (laughs) But is this your younger brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Could you imagine how emotional it would be after years of, t- of time, through all this pain, wondering if you're going to even live? And now you know there's a famine, and you get to see your brother again. This is Joseph. It's highly emotional. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. And this gets interesting as well. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with, with him by themselves. Because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews. That should have given them a clue. For that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been, and also the men had been seated before him in the order of their ages from the firstborn to the youngest. And they looked at each other in astonishment. Wow, this guy's got major powers or something, right? Um, So here's another very interesting piece. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. Who's the favored one now? Benjamin, and who's watching the interaction? I could see him pulling out a multicolored coat. Hey, Benjamin, what do you think of this? <laughs> you know, but that's basically what he does. He gives him five times the food and is looking around. In, in uh, Michoacan Mexican culture, when people get, like, I was at a party the other day, and I was given a plate of food, I just wanted a tiny little bit. Because I just needed a little bit to hold me up. I needed some protein. Um, and I didn't have a lot of time. So I said, could I just have a little bit? The lady looked at me like, are you kidding? And she just piled it on. And it was like, that is a cultural way, at least in, this, in that culture, to, to show care. And if someone asks, even for you have to give them, you give them much. And so here's Benjamin. He's the favored one. He's given, he's given much. Now Joseph gave these instructions while they're eating. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver from his grain. And he, and he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. And then he calls a steward. Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. (laughs) So he, he accuses them. When he caught up with them, he repeats those words, and their response is, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. And you know, we told you that we brought back the silver. You know, we even brought back the silver. No way. They're so sure they didn't have this cup that they make this deal. If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. 
I love the steward's gracious response to the deal. He's going to restate the same deal, only it's much more gracious. Very well then, he said. Let me see what I just heard. Let it be as you say, whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Man, they're ready to prove that he's wrong. And so what happens? Then the steward proceeded to search. He begins with the oldest. Again, how does he know their age? But he starts with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. The question here is, how will they respond? Here they are. It's another opportunity. He is the half-brother. He is the favored one. He does have the cup. He deserves to stay. And we can go home. Even Simeon would go home. So they could just do what they did to Joseph. But how do they respond? This is their response. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers, Judah, and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you've done? And the response, What can we say? We have nothing to my... What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, What can we say? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. What guilt? What's Judah talking about? Is he talking about this situation or maybe a previous one? And we are now, my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. This is the test. Will you leave? He gives him another chance. You guys can all leave. You're free to go. But Benjamin stays. How will you treat him? The rest of you can go back to your father in peace. And then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. And then he tells him, the story, the conversation he had with his dad. We have an aged father, and there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. He's the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. And Joseph's sitting there listening to this. Then you said to your servants, anyway, he goes on. He says, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. So he's telling him, one big reason is my dad will suffer greatly. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just give him what could be a sob story. He goes on and he he explains uh, what happened last time on the trip. You told us we had to bring Benjamin. You know, you, you told us this had to happen. I went and I pleaded with dad. He finally said yes. And in order to get him to say yes, your servant, I, Judah, your servant, guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. What blame? Joseph probably knows. I think I know what you're talking about. He didn't say anything, but now then, please let your servant remain. Uh, this, is, this is the key phrase. 
Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. That's Judah's response. Take me instead. This is Judah. How unlikely. The man who seems to only live for himself. And suddenly he makes this, this choice. What's interesting about Judah, and, and as, we, as we consider the story, we have to ask the question, what about me? What does this have to do with my life? And I'm not saying, I could have said our, but a lot of times we tend to do that, and we turn, we turn something into just a general statement. But what about me? Would you ask yourself that question? Judah's story becomes a preview of the gospel. Can God change? Can God transform people's lives? Take them from a kingdom of belonging to sin to a kingdom that belongs to light. Can God do that? Is that possible as we see these people who say, I choose to identify with Christ. Those who are baptized today, I follow him with my life. Jesus gives me peace. Is that possible? God is powerful to save. Through, the, through Genesis, we've seen the king of creation He doesn't just prepare a meal. He creates a garden, a paradise. He puts man in it. And we men clearly took what didn't belong to us, something that would bring death. He clearly said, don't take that fruit. Don't eat it. And we chose to reject God's ways, reject him, and take matters into our own hands. And to this day, we continue in sin The Bible is very clear about our brokenness. It says the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. But the good news is that sin doesn't have to own us. It doesn't have to own us. A Roman soldier talking to Paul and Silas in the New Testament, he asked this question. He asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What do you mean believe in the Lord Jesus? Didn't he die? They were there to tell him, Jesus died. He was dead for three days and he came back to life. And we're here in stocks and bonds. We're in prison because we're not willing to say otherwise. We're willing, we want to tell you he's alive. And so if you choose to believe, and it isn't just believe that this happened, it's believe in Jesus. Like invite him into relationship. Jesus wants to be in your life. He wants to come in and live with you. Jesus is alive today. His spirit is in this room right now. And he's knocking at the door of our lives. And he's saying, I, want, I would love to come in. I would like to eat this meal with you. I would like to be your savior. What will you do with Jesus? What has Jesus done? Like Judah. Judah said, take me instead. Jesus. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He knew when he was alive that one day he would be taken to the cross. And when he was taken to the cross, he went there not because of something he did, but it was 
because we carry sin in our sacks, in our lives. We're sinful. And so Jesus said, take me instead. He lays down his life for us, and we call that message the gospel. God's favored son, his only begotten son, the descendant of Judah. Isn't that interesting? Judah's the one saying this in years down the line. His great, 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 great down son would lay his life down for all of us. What will you choose to do with Jesus? When we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I, I invite you into my life. I need you as my savior. You know what happens? Colossians chapter 2 says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. According to this, Jesus forgives our sin. He takes it away. And he nailed it in his flesh on a cross over 2,000 years ago. That's where our sins end up. If we just come to him to deal with our brokenness. What will you do with Jesus? For those of us who already have a relationship with him. We go from belonging to a kingdom of, of darkness And, you know, our identity is sinner. When you die, you are lost forever. To God, the moment you come into relationship with Christ, Jesus says, you are now my son. You are my child. We are family. I give you a new identity. And many of us in this room have made this choice. I did it when I was six years old. And some of these people are telling us what they did. And they're they're publicly telling us, Jesus is my Lord. But a lot of times as we live our Christian life, we forget. We forget what Christ has done for us. We sing this song. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. But do we truly believe that he sets us free? Like Jacob, some of us are having a hard time trusting God. But God is powerful to transform we hang on, we try to control because of our pain, because of just circumstances, mountains and valleys. We're trying to control. Some of us, like Judah, have been bearing the blame for a long time and haven't yet made the reality of what Jesus did on the cross ours. There are areas of our lives, all of us have them, which we haven't allowed God to transform. Personal character struggles. We struggle with our thoughts. Think about Judah. What kind of thought struggles do you think he had after he sold Joseph, after he was responsible for that? Remember that list of all of of his life? How many of those decisions did he make because of that first bad decision? He makes this choice, it brings guilt and shame. Then he goes and he makes others and others because he just says, I am worthless, I messed up. I don't deserve anything good. Self-loathing. Yeah, my kids, I couldn't care about my brother. Why should I care about my kids? 
And this is the downward spiral in his thoughts. And a lot of times we do the same thing. We let God, he transforms our lives. We know we're his children. But there are thoughts that we just won't surrender to the Lord. We won't listen to his truth in our lives. Thoughts, the things we listen to, the things we watch, the things that fill our mind, they don't exactly help out. Things we need to surrender like words, the way we speak, gossip, anger, raising my voice. Our actions, our actions. I had a conversation with a man and his wife and there was an issue and they hadn't, they hadn't really talked about it. Just kind of got buried but it was there. And when he was faced with the issue, he said, yeah, I think, we do, I, think, I think I know what the problem is. He says, we have pride. And we need to humble ourselves. The word that's the problem right there is the word we. And so I'm like, well, what do you have to humble yourself about? What do you have pride about? Is this issue, have you apologized? Have you made this issue right? Have you gone and said, I'm sorry for this issue? Have you confessed it as, no? Well, we've, I've, I've talked about it. How? Have you really? No. And so it's like, well, um, no, but I think if we were just less proud and we just let things go, <laughs> not make them into big, are you, is that, hum, is that, are you being humble right now? When are you going to deal with it? I, ha- I have to deal with it. When? I say, well, and then it just goes into this bizarre thing. Well, yeah, but there are so many people. You know what the problem is? The problem is everybody's so shallow. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And right now, that's what, I'm, that's what we're seeing. What are you going to do about it? Is what you did Right. Was it right? No, I was wrong. Okay, that's called confession, confessing. That's called saying, I messed up. Did you mess up? Yeah, I messed up. Okay. So? I'm sorry. Yeah? Okay, that's good. What's next? Would you please forgive me? And now he's broken. Would you please forgive me? I was wrong. And I will try not to do it again. I can't promise because I might mess up, but I'm, I'll try. That's where the fight happens. When we come broken and humble, and we can easily say, yeah, we need to be humble. But we don't want to make it specific. We don't want to take our issues and actually bring them up and say, I need to deal with this. I need to deal with that and make it specific. And the question isn't whether we have them. (laughs) We do. They come in all kinds of situations. You know, I think of um, little things. Saying I'm sorry is one, but I don't know. For for me, it comes driving is one. (laughs) It's a little thing, but 
I remember when I first got married, I would just drive my own way, and I'd go around the curb, it's almost to keep it right at the top of the speed limit, and my wife, who had been in a car accident, was just freaking out, like, ah, could you slow down? But I'm not even speeding. But she's scared. And, you know, over time, saying, okay, I need to slow down for her. Change my character, not just put up with it. I hear people drive separate cars because of this kind of thing. What? Yeah. There are thoughts, words, actions, habits. And then there are steps, relational steps, that we need to take. One big one is receiving forgiveness from God. Taking some time to listen to him. If you're, not, if you're not dealing with your issues before God, how can you possibly forgive others? If you're not listening to God's voice who says, I forgive you for this, how can you even fight with the issue? You're spiraling. You're doing what Judah does. Receive God's forgiveness. He is his transforming power. And then, you, and then you'll be able to extend grace. As I invite the worship team back up, something I'd like, I'd like us to consider. This verse says in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Is it okay to just live in it? To not, not let the power of the gospel transform me? And the response, the answer is, by no means. No, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to hang on to the gospel. I'm going to live in it every day. And I'm going to let the power of the gospel transform me. We live in a land that is, that is surrounded. Maybe we don't have material famine. We have goods. We have food. We have all that. But man, do we have a famine. We have a famine that is relational brokenness, emotional and spiritual. We don't have to point to Judah to find relational brokenness. We can look at ourselves. And there are relationships we need to reach out to. We need to go back and pursue, pursue the gospel in those relationships. And God is faithful. God is faithful. As we think about this faithful God, he is faithful to complete what he started in us. He is faithful. And as I think about the world around us, starting from home, my family, my wife, my kids, my neighbors, the people I work with, you work with. Um, God's glory is being revealed in us. They're watching. Psalm 45, 11 and 12 says this. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. May God's glory be revealed in the transformation of his church, of you, as we go out this week. And may his name be honored. Amen. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.